This episode is brought to you by my go-to meal prep company, Flex Pro Meals. I love Flex Pro because it tastes great, first and foremost, but also the ordering page makes it easy and has all the macro and nutritional info listed out for you for every single meal. There are 35 macro-balanced options starting at just $4.19, and they have next-day delivery to all 50 U.S. states. High-protein, low-carb, keto, gluten-free, you name it, they got it. You can use code CPRICE for 40% off your first order for a limited time. That's 40%. That's huge. So check them out, Flex Pro Meals. Welcome visionaries, dreamers, and trailblazers to the Casually Ambitious Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Price, and I am thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Here, we dive deep into the realms of wellness, entrepreneurship, and mindset. Let's build a life we love while loving the life we live. The adventure to a more mindful, purposeful, and casually ambitious life starts now. I was kind of like pressed for time. I just actually got a new laptop because uh, my stepdaughter stepped on my old one. Oof. <laughs> so I was to trying to that. get everything transferred over, but no, no problem at all. Can you hear cool, me okay? Man. Yeah. No, you're coming in loud and clear. You got the new Runa cap on. Oh, I yeah. I fucking love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just learned how to pronounce that, actually, because I went to the Run Club page. I'm like, Runa Running Club, sick. And then it's like, <laughs> nope, it's Runa. It's yes. Runa. So glad I got that. Uh, but I'm already recorded, man. So if you're ready Perfect. to dive in. Heck, yeah. Let's do it. Cool, man. Well, well, thank you for coming to the pod, Xavier, also known as the Buff Nurse on IG. Uh, <laughs> as you could probably put two and two together, he, he's pretty buff and uh, he's an <laughs> RN. So that makes a lot of sense. And I'd love to, you know, you're somebody who I don't have a lot of history with. You know, we've mm-hmm. DM'd a couple times back and forth. So this is a little bit more unique for me to have somebody on the pod that we don't have a ton of history. So I'd love to just hear from your perspective. Like, I know that you came from the world of, of bodybuilding, weightlifting, that sort of thing. So right. talk to me about that. Talk to me about your roots in fitness and kind of your come up and also doing that alongside a nursing career, which is, you know, very time consuming and, and takes a lot. So talk to me about that. Very. So, man, fitness, weightlifting, powerlifting, that all started back in shoot, it was like high school. And the reason why I think for many of us, why we dive into fitness is usually because it stems from like an insecurity. And that's what it was for me. So growing up, uh, I had this insecurity about my chest. And a lot of people don't know. But when I was a baby, this was like two or three years old, this TV fell on top of me. And it I guess it fractured some of my, my true ribs or like my sternum. So as I developed into my teenage years, I had this bony prominence. And for the longest time, like when you're a teenager, your insecurity is just blown out of control, right? It's really not that big a deal, but you think everybody can see it. Everyone's judging you. So that led to me not wanting to go swimming, not wanting me to take my shirt off because I'm embarrassed, you know, my friends, even girls. And uh, I remember I kind of fell into this really crazy spell like depression spell and it was so bad to the point where i remember this was pe classes like my junior year of high school and we had swimming i went to the extent of breaking my own hand like so i was like punching the ground as hard as i could just so i had i had an excuse to not swim so it was yeah it was pretty intense and i just remember during that time um my mom was like taking me to different specialists, like orthopedic specialists and stuff like that, just to see what they can do. And I always remember we went to a chiropractor and my mom was thinking maybe he can like adjust my spine or something, fix this. He, I I went to see him for a few sessions and the last session I'll always remember, he sat me down and he was just like, look, the only way that you're going to do something about this is if you develop some muscle on your chest and kind of cover up this insecurity of yours. So for me, I was like, Oh shit. Like that's my solution right there. I got to get jacked. And then I just remember, I just went straight tunnel visioned. All I cared about was just bodybuilding, getting stronger, getting muscular. How old were you at that time? I was 16 years old. Yeah. 16 years old. That's when I, I still remember like the same day we went to sport chalet, we got a bench press set. And I just started working out. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of like lifting weights. And then, of course, YouTube started exploding at that time. So I went on there, 
I saw a lot of the guys, like, I don't know if you're familiar with like Matt Ogis or Scott Herman, like these are like OG YouTubers. I think they're still relevant today, but um, yeah, I just went crazy on it. And then I got pretty jacked, not going to lie, like senior year, I was looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden I didn't even care about the insecurity anymore, but I still kept that habit of fitness all throughout like my early years of college. And then even, even till now, I never really stopped. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was not expecting that. That's crazy, man. Thank you for, for sharing that story. I think, you know, coming up, we all have our insecurities, but like, man, to be that's, um, nervous, like to where you're breaking your hand. That's oh, crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. And, and you actually answered my follow-up question to that was, was, was going to be like, has that ever followed you throughout your life where you still feel the insecurity popping up because it was so deeply rooted then, or it's kind of like you've worked through that at that, at this point. Definitely worked through it. it. No longer bothers me, but, um, it did teach me a lot throughout the process. Like just the simple fact that I think that for the first time in my life, cause I was never really like a solid student. Um, I wasn't academically gifted at all, but it definitely showed me what hard work can get me. So that mm-hmm. kind of like, it kind of gave me that confidence. Like, okay, if I really want something, if I really want to do something, I can do it. So when did nursing come into the picture? When did you realize like that was going to be the career path that you wanted to take? Was there a, sp- a specific moment that comes to mind or was it always in the back of your mind? Like, I want to help people. I think I want to go this route. So I've always wanted that, um, career where I can help people. And initially when I first went to, I went to a junior college straight out of high school, again, wasn't academically gifted. A four year wasn't in the, in the books for me, but, uh, I originally wanted to become a physical therapist and, uh, I loved, you know, I was in that space already with, uh, you know, sports and fitness. And then I kind of did some research as far as like, what's the financial compensation of a physical therapist. And to be honest, I think that they are severely underpaid. They just, they do so much, but you know, they get paid so little. So I decided, well, you know what, let's switch it up. So I kept bouncing for, from major to major like business. And then I, I did, um, uh, fire science to become like a firefighter paramedic. Didn't really like that. Just trying to, I guess, experiment to see what exactly would, you know, call for my attention. And then I remember there was a, I think it was like Thanksgiving one year and mind you, I'm like 21 at the time or 20. And I had a conversation with my auntie and uncle and they're both nurses. So they were just saying like, Hey, you know what? Like you, you like to help people this, you always have job security with nursing. You get paid well, why don't you try it out? And then that's when I was like, okay, like, why not? I'm gonna try it. And uh, a lot of the courses that I already took for physical therapy aligned with that major. So I just kind of went through with it and very difficult. uh, Those set of courses, like if anybody here who studies like physical therapy and um, nursing, you know, you have to take physiology, anatomy, your chemistries. Those are difficult courses. And again, I wasn't very academically gifted. I, I wouldn't consider myself a smart guy at all but I was going, I was willing to give it a shot. Gotcha. And so you're, you're undergrad, you're BSN, right? That's four years of, of undergrad. And then to get your RN, what does that include? So RN, so the junior college that, that I studied at, they had a ADN program, which pretty much means an associate's degree in nursing. So it's a two-year program. So first of all, you have to take these prereqs, which generally takes anywhere from like two to four years, depending on how, um, how intensely you want to stack your, your classes in per semester. So I have a funny story about this too. Not so funny, but just a story where it kind of brought me back to like the high school mentality of like my whole insecurity thing. So I'll actually, I'll just dive right into it. So I was taking my general ed courses and I downloaded a roadmap to get into this nursing program. So it told me, it kind of went over all the classes that I needed to get into the program. And I remember I was taking those courses and I was like, okay, it's probably a good idea if I talk to a counselor so she can give me more guidance. And I remember my buddy, he was also studying nursing or he wanted to become a nurse as well. We did a dual meeting with this counselor and she sat us down. She looked over our transcripts. She was like, 
if I'm being honest with you too, just change your major because you're never going to become a nurse. And like, I remember I was fuming. I was so pissed off and I'm just looking at her like, there's no way, like this person is going to tell me I can't do something. Right. So we walked out of that meeting and my buddy looks over at me. He was like, so uh, what kind of major are you going to choose? And I just looked, I'm like, dude, I'm doing nursing. Like, I'm not going to let this lady tell me I can't do something. He's like, oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to go to business. I remember. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. And that's when I, I like went back in time. I was like, okay, if I can do that, if I can develop myself with just hard work alone, I can for sure do this in the academic space. So I went ballistic. I remember I kind of like pushed all my friends aside. I didn't go out and party and drink with everybody. All I was doing was just studying. I would take a, like a recorder, like a tape recorder before every lecture, I would put it in front of the teacher and I would just like listen to it on a loop and all day long. And I swear my GPA went from like a 2.2 to a 4.0. And then long story short, got into the nursing program. And then I also kept those habits, those study habits, that work ethic. And I ended up having like a 3.9 in uh, all through the nursing program. So that's how I got the associate's degree to answer your question. So it's a two-year program that I did at the JC. And then I started working as a nurse shortly after because I had already worked at the hospital. So I did that intentionally so I can just jump right in. I had a like a like pretty much like a job secured. And then I worked as a nurse as I got my bachelor's degree. Love that. I, I love that so much because that's like every movie scene about like the guidance counselor tells me I can't do this. The teacher tells me I'm not shit. I'm not going to do it. And then what do I do? Go and, and pursue it and, and, you know, actually accomplish it. So it's like your I own, love your, that. you're your own superhero. Yeah. hundred percent, man. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of funny because I've seen this same mentality with people in the fitness industry who have kind of come up and, and proved their own in one capacity with fitness, but it's like, it goes across any platform of your life. You know, it's like this consistent factor I've seen, which is really cool to see. How much of a part of your life did fitness play at this point? Was it kind of secondary or were you always kind of getting after it as well? I was always getting after it, but I did notice that I wasn't getting after it as intensely when I was in the nursing program, just because my focus had shifted a little bit. I definitely wanted to focus on getting the degree and then starting my career. Uh, but I never really left it. I just kind of, mm -hmm. I just wasn't going all in as I was before. And then when did the transition from kind of the weights and I won't say transition cause obviously you still lift, but to the track kind of take like place. Main, because like a running focus. Yes. More of a running focus, more of like, you know, I, I'm not just a weightlifter. I'm more of a hybrid athlete now. So that didn't start maybe I, so I'm 30 years old now and I started running when I was about 27 years old, 26, 20, yeah, 26, 27. So I remember I was working and my coworker, she's an avid runner, phenomenal runner. Her name's Allison. Um, but we were talking about fitness and running and lifting weights. And she had told me, she said, you know, lifting weights is not all that hard. Running is much harder than lifting. I'm sitting there like, this is bullshit. Like I can, I can easily run easily. You know, I'm a 200 pound guy. I'm pretty jacked at the time. And I took it up as a challenge. Like, okay, I'll do it easy. So I remember I went to go buy my first pair of running shoes. They were a six Kayano 26s or something like that. And I went out again, didn't really know what I was doing. Just went out for a run. And, uh, yeah, man, it was brutal. I remember my feet were hurting, my shins were hurting, and I remember texting her like, "This shit sucks." Do you remember how is, far you made it your first time? It was. It must have been like a mile and a half to two miles. I was a complete, <laughs> like, sh just bad shape. Was yep. not in shape at all. Yeah. When you first get started, man, those first like one, two, three miles, I remember, dude, because you don't know anything, you don't know what you don't know, but you're just going out and you're like getting after it. Right. Cause you're, you're coming from weightlifting. You're like in weightlifting, I kind of just, you know, throw my force at it and you can brute force your way through weightlifting a little bit, but with running, 
you can do it to a certain extent, but early on, man, it just takes a toll and it's just hits different. So I remember like first two miles, three miles, you know, you're trying to get after it. You're running like 7.30, 7.45 pace because you don't know how to run slow. Right. You're just like, I'm giving this everything I got. Gassed afterwards, mm -hmm. absolutely gassed. So, so that took a while, obviously, to transition, but you, you caught the bug, right? Did it happen immediately or did it take a couple of times? Definitely not. So yeah. I ran, I probably did this, like you said, I was going out just running hard every single time, running hard, running hard. I, I thought that's how you ran. And it must have maybe a month had gone by. I developed severe plantar fasciitis, shin splints, and I called it quits. I said, I'm going back to the gym. This is not for me. And I had quit for about six months. And then somehow I think, you know what? I quit for six months and then I read David Goggins's can't hurt me book. And that kind of just started this whole cycle again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, it's so cliche, but man, that book, that's why I got into ultra running in the first place to be oh, honest. Oh, by the way, congratulations, bro. Thank you. First bro. place. Thank you, man. That's Thank insane. You. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get into the ultra and asking you about that later on if you'll ever get into that. But um I want to keep it early, early on in your progression at this point Okay, now, so. okay. But it's so funny to see how David Goggins is so consistently in everybody's story, dude. Right. Right. <laughs> to some capacity. Have you read his <laughs> his new book as well? I did. Yes. I still like can't hurt me more than me too i forget the the name of the second one i think it's never finished that one yes yeah. so yeah can't hurt me i think it's just nostalgic or it hit me at a different point in my life um during the time i started can't hurt me i was going through a pretty bad breakup i was engaged before several years ago and then kind of you know called it quit so i think i just discovered it at the right time of my life yeah I'd agree. I'd agree. And it's all about time and place when you read a book, man. It, you can read a book one year and it doesn't mean anything to you and you read it again in three years and it's it changes your life, you know, which is 100%. pretty cool. Uh, so as you're at this point, you know, you're starting to train hybrid a little bit. Um, you're starting to get faster. You're starting to get more passionate about running. What does that progression look like? Did you start signing up for races? Was there like a 5K here, a 10K here? What did that look like? Yeah, so... I didn't really know anybody in the running space. It was just me out there just logging miles. And, you know, I was just reading this book, Can't Hurt Me. And I see that, you know, Goggins is signing up for these ultra marathons, these marathons. I'm like, well, shit, like, I'm going to try a marathon. Like, I, I think I'm capable of running 26.2. So, uh, again, I didn't really change anything in my training. I was just out there running hard as possible every single run. Uh, I, I, get, I had my ASICs, my trainers. I didn't even know about racing shoes. I didn't know about nutrition, electrolytes, and none of that stuff. And I signed up for the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. And this was back in, gosh, I think, oh, back in 2021. So, yeah, I just kept training for it. And I was super hyped. I even wore my, my David Goggins shirt the day of the marathon. I had my hydration vest. And, uh, yeah, I just showed up. I knew no, I drove all the way to, so I live in, I live in uh, Stockton, California, which is about an eight hour drive to San Diego. Okay. So I drove all the way down there solo, got a hotel, showed up race day. I felt amazing for the first 13 miles, but the mm. second half of that race, I was absolutely destroyed. I always use the example of Forrest Gump before he gets those leg, like that hardware around his legs removed. That was me. I was running super stiff. My, my arms were like to my chest, my legs. I couldn't even, I couldn't even dorsiflex my, my foot because I would just get an extreme cramp in my, in my calf. And it was probably the worst experience ever. And especially this is like the most important thing to that, that my, my biggest takeaway of this whole experience was that when I got to that finish line, first of all, I had a goal of 347. Why 347? No clue. Just wanted a 347 for my first marathon. I ended up crossing the finish line at four hours and six minutes. I was completely devastated. I was pissed off and I was super disappointed. But the biggest takeaway of that whole experience was when I crossed that finish line, my body was broken and I'm looking around and I'm seeing everybody with their friends and their families just hugging and kissing like 
everyone was having a great time. And here I was by myself. I had nobody, I had nobody to call to tell, like apart from my family, but they don't really understand running, but nobody in the space. I knew nobody. And I just remember looking around, like, I don't want anybody to ever feel like this ever. I feel like there's gotta be people out there just like me who love running, who don't know anybody. And they would love to meet people and get together with people to do these races, to go on these training runs. So that was the, my first marathon experience. And then of course I'm super disappointed. I have a very competitive mindset. I'm like the hell with that. I'm signing up for CIM, which is literally 30 days later. So I get on the computer, I start doing my research and I'm thinking, okay, like, what is this? Like, why, why did I run with a hydration vest with like two liters on my back? I need to get a handheld water bottle. I need to find somebody to meet me halfway through the course. I got electrolytes, these goos, like what are these goos? I'm gonna, I need to take some of these goos. So I ended up running CIM a little bit better prepared. And I ended up running that at a 340 uh, Damn. finish time. Yeah. So like, I shaved like 26 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So in one month. In one month. And I think it was just basic knowledge. That's all yeah. it was. And I think the, the course does make a difference. I mean, San Diego rock and roll is a pretty tough course, hilly, hilly course. And then CIM is very gentle, net negative. So True. that made a difference. Yeah, that's a fast one. But I'm so glad that because people can take a first shitty marathon experience one of two ways, which is one like, I'm never going to do it again. And I don't mean like you finish the race and say you're never going to do it again and then sign up for another one. It's like, no, I hated that. You know, that was a horrible <laughs> experience. I puked. I, you know, but in the other way is obviously like fired up. Right. And right. like, let me, let me do a little bit better. I'm so glad that you took the other route. Um, my wife, I got her to do a 10 K. So there was nice. this thing. Have you ever heard of Asheville, North Carolina? Never. So it's in the mountains of North Carolina, super hilly. They'd had a marathon or excuse me. I think it was a half marathon. I ran the half marathon. She ran the 10 K her first endeavor into running ever. And, um, so we end up getting to the race late because I forgot my AirPods. And at this time, like early on, I feel like most people are like this. You have to have music when you run mm-hmm. or you're, you're, you just need a distraction, right? right. Cause it sucks. So I'm like, fuck, I got to go home. We drove home, get the AirPods Then I'm speeding back to the race. I get pulled over. Oh, That's shit. like 15 more minutes. <laughs> I'm like, we're not making the start of this race. So we end up missing the start of the race. We're like eight minutes behind the last person who left and i just start sprinting i'm like babe we gotta catch up we gotta catch up and And she's going with you she's going with me and she can't (laughs) run like that and we're doing like you know seven minute miles or whatever trying to catch up and she's like i can't do and two miles in she vomits pukes everywhere she starts crying and then i feel so bad i'm like what am i doing what am i doing let me take a step back and just think about this because i am ruining this girl's appreciation and and any kind of desire she had to run i'm completely destroying it Mm -hmm. so i ran the rest of that race with her but it put a bad taste in her mouth and it took me took us three years she just signed up for another one this past summer and it's in november so we've been working towards that but like it scarred her in a bad way. So, and that can happen with a race. I have another friend who's similar experience. So I'm glad it went the other way for you. Yes. hundred percent. But I will say, I don't know if it's just me. Sometimes during these races, those thoughts will come into my head. like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, this is so (laughs) painful. Why am I signing up for this? And then after you get done with the race, you're like, okay, this is why like that feeling after of accomplishments though. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too, man. It's like, that's the, the beginning of the race where all the adrenaline is kind of coming to a, a culmination point and like the music's playing. And then somebody says the, the, uh, star spangled bear or whatever. And like, everybody's just buzzing. Oh, you're hyped. Yep. You're so hyped. And then the end, and this is where my, I got my wife to get back into races is she just sat at the finish line and watched people come across. And she was like, it changed my life because people are crying. They're laughing. They're screaming. They're just so. It's a super ex- emotional experience. It's crazy, man. If you want to just really appreciate life, just go to a race and sit at the finish line, dude. Yep. It's, it's really emotional. It's just, um, it's raw emotion. It is. It is. Um, so I'm glad I got her back into it. Uh, but so you signed up, you did CIM. That's great. And then what, what did it look like after that? So I knew that I was 
capable of being a good runner after CIM. Like, okay, 340 is a respectable time. I feel like that's pretty good, especially I ran it in like trainers, like A6 Kayanos. I didn't even know what a super shoe was at the time. So I wanted to get a little bit more dialed in. I'm like, okay, like, let me see where I can take this. So I remember during San Diego, after at the finish line, I was talking to another runner and he was saying, oh, I got a 335. And that number kind of always stuck in my head. I'm like, damn, that's a, that's a respectable time. 335. That's pretty fast. I want to do that. So that was the next step. I'm like, okay, like what if, you know, I, I do some more research. I do this, this base, this zone training that I saw on, you know, YouTube or whatnot. And I started to discover like super shoes. I started just getting, acquiring a little bit more knowledge about the sport. And I signed up for another marathon, which was three months after CIM. It was the Modesto marathon. And my training was a little bit more structured. Then I started to keep track of my weekly mileage and, um, just like just certain metrics that I was able to use to kind of see my progression as a runner. And then I ran Modesto. I remember I wanted the 335 in Modesto. One of the pacers or the guy who owned the pace group for that race said there was no 335 pacer. Just stick with the 330 for as long as you can. I'm like, fair, I'll do that. Ended up sticking with 330 pacer, finished that race at 328. So I'm like, okay, like I'm seeing some improvements. This is whatever I'm doing. It's working. And then Instagram, I started to really dive into all the running content. And then I kept hearing people talk about Boston qualifying, you know, BQ, BQ, sub three. I'm like, shit, like that's the next step. I have to BQ, I have to sub three. So then I really start diving in. I took a, I took a running, uh, a run, a run coach course. So I learned a little bit more about running. And then I just started to digest everything. I tried to just you know, find who, who's this Boston qualified set of runners and I'm going to learn from them. And yeah, started my training cycle. I did my own training. I didn't have a coach, which I highly recommend people to get a coach or find some sort of a mentor. Cause you can skip a lot of the errors that 100%. you make as a, as a new runner. It's a, it literally puts you on a fast track, but, uh, my plan was, so I got it. I got invited to run the New York city marathon. This was last year. And I'm like, okay, like I'm going to sub three on the main stage. I feel like this is, you know, it's the biggest world major. Why not do it there? So I'm training, training is going well, no injuries. I make it to New York and I'm ready to go. And then you start to see all the news headlines saying, oh, it's going to be 74 degrees. It's hot. It's humid. It's the hottest it's ever been for New York city marathon. I'm like, shit, like I'm still going to try. I'm, I, I feel like I'm fit enough. I did like a 22 mile workout two weeks prior and I knew that I could hit the paces. So, um, we started that race. Everything was perfect until about mile three. Those water stations are a freaking hazard. Like mm. there's water everywhere, people everywhere, especially if you're running with like a pace group, there's just a ton of people around you. So I ended up, I remember I saw, I was reaching for a water and as I was drinking it, the guy in front of me got a water, but he stopped to walk and drink his water. And I tripped over him. I rolled my ankle. Mm -hmm. I almost took out the, like the water station. And then I was just like, dude, like my ankle is busted. There's no way I can keep this pace. It hurts so bad. I remember that it was excruciating. So I called Cheryl, my girlfriend. And I was like, Hey, look, this is what's going on. What do you think I should do? I I'm thinking of just pulling over and stopping. She's like, you're really going to quit. Like you, you, we flew across the country for you to run this marathon and you're going to quit. And then I was just like, dude, I sound like a bitch. Like, you're right. I need to finish this race. So I'm like hobbling or hobbling along. I ended up finishing at like a 338. Again, just like I pretended that this was going to be a fun run. Like, oh, I'm just going to enjoy this marathon. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was great. That marathon is electric. There's literally support from mile one. Oh, I would say like mile three, cause you got to cross a bridge for all the way to the finish. It's amazing. And then running through like the five boroughs, you get to see New York, like the culture mm -hmm. of different cities, which was absolutely amazing. But, um, yeah, I remember we finished the, uh, I finished the race and then we ended up doing some sightseeing, some tourist stuff around the city. And we were at a museum and she just kept looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? And I was just completely spaced out. 
I was, I was not present. I was just thinking in my head, like, damn, like I failed, I failed, I failed. And it brought me back to San Diego. I like those same feelings, just like, it just like, it irked me. It bothered, ate me up inside. And she's like, you're so disappointed, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. She's like, well, they're CIM. And I'm like, no way. Like, this is like, it was, it served as my redemption race once. I'm thinking it can serve it twice. So mm -hmm. I hop on Facebook, I find a bib. And as soon as I bought my, like I literally in the museum, I'm sitting there on Facebook, just looking for a bib. I ended up finding a bib. I got it transferred and like this weight just kind of came off my shoulders. I'm like, okay, I get another shot at this thing. And uh, man, that race was the most beautiful race ever, just because I had pushed my body and my mind to such a point where I didn't know it was possible. But uh, you want me to dive into that right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got a question first. I didn't know sure. you could, so I knew you could bib transfer, but I'd never had thought like there was a market on Facebook for something like this. Yeah, there's a there's a Facebook group dedicated for CIM bib transfers. So, okay, like for right now, I'm planning on running CIM, but I still don't have a bib, and the bib transfer it opens up October 30th. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Because the race sells out typically pretty quick. Oh yeah. Literally okay. like, cause that's the one that everyone uses to qualify for Boston. It's a, it's a very easy or considered easier course compared to other, uh, other courses. And it's coming up, isn't it? Yeah. First Sunday of December. Okay. Nice. Stop. Yeah. Let's keep, let's keep it rolling. Hop into okay. that one. All right. So this race. Like, and is this, this, is this last year or yeah, how, how la many? This, okay. this is last December. Okay. So this race, man, like oddly, um, the night before the race, I was not nervous. I had my, you know, like my carb, uh, my high carb dinner. Uh, I woke up in the morning. I had my, I, I discovered sodium loading, obviously. So I, you know, I did my little sodium load. I had a solid breakfast, my caffeine, uh, showed up to the race, still like zero nerves, just kind of just walked into the corrals, just, you know, just chilling. And, uh, I met, a guy there, he, uh, I was wearing a, a BPN go one more hat. Remember He was like, Hey, go one more. I was like, what's up, dude. His name's Connor, Connor price, Connor price, bro. I know Connor. He ran the same marathon that I BQ'd at. Uh, oh, really? In uh, Washington. Yeah. Jack and Joe. He's the man. Oh, nice. Yeah. Connor price. He's dope. So he's like, do you want to run this thing together? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. So, and he's the one who's actually going to hook me up with the CIM bib because he bought one, but he hurt his back. So he's going to hook me up. But uh, yeah, so I walked into to the corral, super calm, and the race starts. Everything's smooth. Like, I feel amazing. Mile five, and Cher Cheryl and my nutrition team—they're um, meeting me every five miles. So that's the plan: every five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and then my buddy George—he was going to pace me from twenty-two to twenty-six. That's the plan going into this race. So I see Cheryl at mile, mile five, and I'm just like, I'm pumped up. I feel, I feel great. I feel amazing. And then I see her at mile 10, everything's, everything's good. Nothing hurts. Um, my breathing is fine and she's handing me my water and I'm, you know, I'm sharing with Connor cause he didn't have anybody there with him. So I'm giving him some electrolytes. And then I, I was wearing sleeves, those racing sleeves. And I, what I like to do, I like to tuck my goose inside those sleeves. Mm -hmm. One, uh, it keeps them nice and warm. So the consistency is a little better when you take them. And two, it's just easy access. You kind of just like rip it out of your sleeve and then just take it and toss it. So uh, I remember this was about mile 13, 14. I'm pretty hot, like really warm. So I pulled down my sleeves and I was supposed to take a gel at mile 14 and I'm reaching my sleeves and I notice, oh shit, my gels are gone. I'm like, I must have dropped them when I pulled down my sleeves. And I'm like, you know what? Don't panic. And I didn't panic, which was odd. Like, I'll deal with this later. Like, this, mm -hmm. it's mile 14. I have one extra goo in my flip belt. I'll deal with the nutrition aspect later. So then I'm coming up to mile 15. I'm supposed to see Cheryl. And she calls me. She's like, hey, um, I can't meet you at mile 15. There's so much traffic. I'll see you at 16. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And mind you, I'm not touching a water station, especially after what happened with New York. I twisted mm -hmm. my ankle. I'm staying far away from the water stations as possible. So then she called, I'm, I'm approaching mile 16 and she calls me. She's like, Hey, can't make 16. I'll make 17. And I'm just like, okay. And she's like, do you need me? I'm like, 
yes. And she's like, I don't know why I asked that. And then she just hung up. So I'm trying to stay calm. And then mile 17, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, I, I really need this. She calls me again. She's like, hey, can't make 17. I'll make 18. I'm just like, shit. Like, I need fluids. I haven't, it's been seven miles. I'm running at a, this pretty demanding pace. I need something. So I'm like, all right. She's like, use the water stations if you feel comfortable enough. I'm like, okay. So I see a water station. I kind of merge over with the sub three group. And somehow, some way, I found myself between the table and the volunteers. So I'm literally running through and there's like cups flying everywhere, people jumping out of the way. I'm just like, I'm trying to dodge people. And I make it out of the water station with like, you know, half a cup of water and the rest is on my my damn chest. I'm like, what a complete waste of energy. This is why I don't use the water stations. And in my head, I'm starting to like accept that this race, I may be fucked later. And um, I had just taken my last queue at mile 17. Fortunately, I see Cheryl at mile 18. I run, I run by her. Um, she didn't have the water bottle in her hand. I'm like, hey, Cheryl, like, what the, like, what's going on? Like, I need water. I need electrolytes. But I guess George had hopped out of the car and he, he decided to start warming up because Cheryl said, look, George, we, we don't know if we can make mile 22. You have to pace them for mile 18. You got to And he was just like, wait, what? She's like, yes, get out of the car and start warming up. Like she was like super <laughs> intense. And he was just like, Cheryl, I haven't ran in like a couple of weeks. She's like, I don't care. So shout out to George. He saved this race and, and I'll get into that. So, so I'm running. I'm thinking, oh, I'm definitely screwed now. Like Cheryl didn't have my water bottle. I'm just running into mile 18. And then I see George, he's kind of doing some arm circles. He's just trying to the best that he can to get warmed up. And he has two bottles in his hands. So I'm like, okay, perfect. He has the electrolyte. So I, I get with them and I'm chugging this thing because I hadn't had no water. So I'm chugging, chugging. And then I try to calm down a little bit. And uh, so we're heading into mile 19 and I can feel like my legs are just starting to get heavy. I'm like, okay, like now I remember like I need to deal with my nutrition. So I tell George, I'm like, hey, hey, man, I dropped my goose. If you see a goo on the floor or if you see like a goo aid station, can you please grab me one? And he's like, oh, yeah, for sure. I got you. So we're running. And I'm I'm like at this point, my legs just keep getting worse and worse. They're just like filling with like lactic acid. I'm like, shit, like I need nutrition. I need nutrition. I'm like trying not to panic. And um, I remember I was so desperate that. I was just, I grabbed all my salt pills. I had them like in a, like an empty nun or noon tab, a uh, noon capsule. And I mm -hmm. put my salt pills in there. I was just so desperate to feel better. I, just, I remember just popping the, the whole capsule and I'm just chugging these salt pills. And George is looking at me like, dude, like you okay, man? Like what's going on? And I'm just going through it mentally at this point. And mile 23, it was like the worst. Like it, it came to the point where, I was about to just slow the pace down and I, I was slowing down already and George was kind of like shoving my lower backs and he kept saying, Hey, sub threes up there, sub three pacers up there, keep going. And I was, I kid you not, it came to the point where I just imagined this piece of glass and, and, and I, and this is in reference to how fragile my mind was at that time. So I just imagined that there was a piece of glass, uh, like this rectangular piece of glass and it was shattered. Like it just had a bunch of like shattered, like it just looked like if you just touched it, it would just crumble. Like that's what it, that, that's what I felt my mind was at. And it was about my, mile 23.5. I'm just running and I just close my eyes and I'm thinking like, this is the moment I quit. This is the moment I'm about to slow down. And I remembered in that moment, I was at the expo the day before and I saw this guy wearing a Boston marathon jacket. And I remember seeing the symbol on the back of the jacket. And I just thought to myself, I want to get to Boston so fucking bad. And in that moment I said, I don't care how shitty I feel. I don't care how tired I feel. I'm going to fucking keep going. Like no matter what, like in that, it was like my breakthrough moment. And I said, I'm, I don't give a fuck. I don't care how shitty I feel. I'm going. And after that, I just kind of like broke through. I just kept running and I just, I just 
jumped it. Like I flicked a switch in my head. I said, fuck it. I'm, I'm getting this shit. Like by all means, I'm going to Boston and mile 24 was hard. I remember mile 24.5. I just see this thing in the corner of my eye, like this yellow, this yellow thing waving around. I look over and it's George. He has a goo in his hand. I just remember I ripped that thing out of his hand. I swallowed it. And then from once I hit mile 25 and I felt that goo kind of kick in, I felt like, you know, when you get that energy back in your legs, oh, yeah. I was like, Oh, this shit is mine. Like I got sub three and I ended up crossing the finish line, like two fifty nine thirty four, like in dramatic fashion, super depleted. And it was just like, it was one of my favorite race experiences because I pushed my mind to the point where it was about to break. Like that glass was about to just crumble and I remember how fragile my mind was at that time. And I just had to like reinforce it, keep feeding it positive thoughts because any sort of negativity would have just broke me at that moment. And then obviously just envisioning myself at Boston, like that, seeing that Boston marathon symbol, I just remember like closing my eyes and just seeing that unicorn. And I was like, I, I, I have to get there. Like no matter what I have to get there. So, and mm. look, I didn't even make the cutoff. <laughs> I know that five and a half like, minutes. Damn. Bro. Oh, what a story. What yeah. a story. That's pretty sick though. I mean, dude, we've all been at that point where you were at, at, at 23 and a half or 24, where it's like, fuck, I'm going to give up. I'm going to, mm -hmm. I, I don't have any more in the tank, but like mentally that's when there's a choice to be made. And like, you don't think that there is, but there still is, you mm -hmm. know, because it's going to suck one way or another. Even if you slow down, it's still going to fucking suck. Oh yeah. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Um, and you know, Sal, you know, Sally McRae. Yes. So she had said something in one of her posts, which really resonated with me. And it was, don't focus on like the pain cave. Don't focus on the pain, but focus on the goal, focus on the vision. And I felt like that's exactly what happened. And that's what got me through that difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that gave me chills, man, because I mean, I've been exactly in that position and I've had two, um, well, more than two, but I've had instances where I did pull back because I didn't think I had any more left in the tank. Mm -hmm. And then I've had instances where I broke through that as well. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I don't think my fitness was, was that much different in those cases. I think it was a mindset thing, mm -hmm. 100%, which is crazy. Yeah, it's like your fitness can get you this far, but your mind can get you even further. Like, I don't think I was in shape to run a sub three, but I ran a sub three. Yeah. Hell so yeah. even I, I just recently got a running coach, uh, Mark Pinellas. I don't know if you know him. I don't, but, uh, he looked at my stats. He's like, dude, I don't, I don't really know how you can run a sub three marathon. Like you don't even have a sub five twenty mile. Like usually all sub three marathoners can get to like a five minute mile. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Maybe it's just grit mindset. I love that. I love that. That's my favorite characteristic about anybody, man, is grit. Have you ever read that book, Grit? Mm -hmm. Great book. Great book. Great fucking book. All right. So let's transition a little bit. So you still do hybrid style training. So tell me what that looks like, because, you know, I think you're, you're very similar to me. Like we want to be fast. We want to be able to run sub three, but man, I don't want to look like a twig doing it. Right. right? I still want to look good. I still want to be able to push weight and sling weight in the gym. So oh, yeah. for me, I know in order to maintain some size. I need to be lifting at least three times a week. I try to do four, but typically it's three times a week. Um, and it's like, you know, a chest and tri day, a back and buys day, and then a legs day at, at bare minimum. What does it look like for you when you're kind of maintaining when you're in a block and then maybe when you're outside of a block, because obviously we're building when we're outside of our training racing block, but then we're kind of maintaining when we're in our racing block. Right? Yeah. hundred percent. So it definitely depends if I'm training for a marathon if I am in a block, then I'm training kind of like yourself, like anywhere from three to four days a week. And generally it's a push pull legs split. And then that fourth day I will dedicate it to the area where I couldn't really hit as hard during the three days. So, uh, lately it's been two leg days. So I'll do like a heavy strength training leg day and then push, which, you know, chest and tries and some shoulders and then your pull back and biceps. And then that second leg day, it's more of like plyo, um, single leg work, uh, agility, just a lot of sport specific exercises that yep. will help benefit running. And then 
as if you compare that to if I'm not training for a marathon, I'm generally lifting five to six days a week and I just run push pull legs twice. So mm-hmm. I just kind of like repeat. So push pull legs day off, push pull legs day off and just, just keep repeating that process. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Very similar to, to how I try to structure things as well. Uh, so are you, so your next race is, is CIM in December, which you don't have a bit for, right? Mm-hmm. Was there any races in between from CIM until now that you, you did or not really now? Yeah. So I wanted to PR my half marathon and that was at the beginning of this month, October 1st, I did San Jose half. It's like a rock and roll series race. And I wanted to go for a sub 125. Previously I had, I had uh, raced, this was like last year I did like a 127. So 125 was like, it's easy. I mean, it's two minutes off my half marathon time. I've grown as a runner so much since then. And during that race, I actually had to slow down mile five just because I've been dealing with this really bad plantar fasciitis injury. And after like the first three, four miles of that race, it really aggravated the injury and it hurt so bad to keep race pace. So I ended up slowing down and just progressively got worse to the point where after that race, I ended up taking a week off of running. And it was definitely, and this is all in retrospect, in the moment I was, you know, devastated and disappointed that I couldn't run, but it definitely opened me up to the fact that I need to focus on rest and recovery and just making sure that I strengthen the muscles that are used for running and to kind of protect me from injuries. So after that week off, I was in a boot for about a week because I wasn't sure if it was a stress fracture or just really bad plantar fasciitis ended up being just PF and, um, yeah, just been doing a lot of like a plantar fasciitis protocol that was given to me. And then I had actually ended up getting the cortisone shot in my foot just because it's just, it was just, um, stubborn. It wasn't going away. And even now, even with the shot, it's still there and I'm just trying to work through it. Just trying to manage the injury while training for a marathon It's very difficult. Yeah. That's a good segue into kind of the content and what you create around and things like that. So I've seen some of your videos about plantar fasciitis, working through that. Um, Where do you typically get your inspiration for your content? Is it just kind of working through these things that you're learning along the way? Like, like we've kind of talked about throughout this whole time is like, you don't know what you don't know early on. As you begin to get more into it, you pick these things up. So is that kind of what you gear your content around? Or do you also get it from people maybe in the running club asking questions or people that you're coaching and things like that? A little bit. I think before it was more so what people would ask for from like the running club and just my close, you know, group of friends. But and that and that kind of looked like just your informative content. Maybe even because I, I think before my content was more geared towards inspiration and information, where now I understand that it gets dry after a while if you just keep pushing out the, the same two pieces of content. So now it's kind of cool to like mix things up. Uh, day in the life is cool, or even just uh, just funny like comedy skits, entertainment content, and just blending all of those things together. And you can actually what I find is like, you can actually be entertaining, but also informative at the same time. So I just think just touching on each area does the best for social content and social media growth. I agree. I agree. I talked to Andy Glaze who has gotten really big on IG and and TikTok lately. He calls it, um, he's like, sometimes I got to be the dancing monkey, bro. I got (laughs) to do the skits and just kind of be the dancing monkey. And it's, it's funny way to say it, but it's kind of true. It's like, but sometimes the skits are the most fun shit to do because you're just coming up with like these random ideas. You're like, I'll try it. Maybe it doesn't go anywhere, but maybe it goes crazy. Who knows? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool because I've actually fell in love with creating content because it gets your mind and your imagination going. Like mm-hmm. you'll be driving to the store, then boom, something will hit you. Like, Oh, I can do that. Like, that'll be super funny. I'm going to try that. Or like me at the grocery store. And then Kipchoge talking about what did he, what he had for oatmeal. And then I see this big pallet of oatmeal. I'm like, Oh, this is an opportunity. Here we go. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to pretend like I'm buying all the oatmeal because he told me to eat, or he said that this is what he eats in the morning before a marathon. So, yep. yeah. So, um, And then I also do schedule out blocks of time to scroll through social media, not just 
to scroll and like, like pictures, but actually do research, right? Like I feel that social media is, it's not, not necessarily like a copycat world, but it's just different pieces of content being circulated. And then you put your own twist and flavor into that content. So I schedule out time, like 15, 20 minutes where I'll just kind of go through and like, Oh, this is very creative. I like this. I don't like this. I'll try this. And, you know, just, I feel like that also helps with creating content. Couldn't agree with you more. I do the exact same thing. And I think most people take that time to like doom scroll where they're just going, going, going. But I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, be intentional with this time. Like get creative ideas. We're not plagiarizing. We're not stealing, but we're getting inspiration. And then saying like, all right, that was really fucking funny soundbite. Maybe I can use this right. in a running capacity in this piece of content or whatever. And that's where the ideas can start to come together, you know? And you can just hear a soundbite and think of something and be like, oh, like I can easily like put this together with this sound. It would be perfect. So, yep. I love it. Do you have any history like besides just doing this on the fitness side of like creating or, um, you know, doing videos or anything like that? No, never. So, yeah, before this, I, you know, back in high school when I first started lifting, uh, my buddy would always tell me back then, like, hey, like you need to make a YouTube channel. You need to make a YouTube channel. And as much as I wanted to, I never did, but I did regret the fact that I didn't do it. So this time around, I'm like, uh, I need to take advantage of social, especially because we have seen the progression of social media and all these platforms. This is where all the attention's at. So I'm like, okay, why not? I don't want to regret, like if you're given an opportunity once and it goes away, there's, you know, chances are you're probably not going to get that opportunity again. But if it lands in your lap twice, you're very blessed and I don't want to waste that. Great point. And I do a shitty job at this of, I really only primarily post on Instagram and I kind of stay in my lane on Instagram where I should be, you know, I'm should be repurposing for TikTok, should be doing the same thing for YouTube. Do you do a good job of that? So yes and no. And I say yes, because I recently started doing that. So I was on a call with Jeremy Miller and he was kind of, you know, giving me flowers saying, you know, you've grown your social media. Congratulations. Have you thought of creating YouTube shorts? Have you thought of util utilizing TikTok? I'm like, I haven't. He's like, I highly recommend that you do. So now I'm making it a point where I can just repurpose the content. Like the video is already edited and made. Right. I post it onto IG. How easy is it to just post it on TikTok too? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, he was just saying like, it's a great way to just funnel everyone into one place. So it's like your TikTok is gra grabbing people's attention and funneling it back to your Instagram and vice versa. Yeah. O other than distribution on platforms, anything else that kind of comes to mind as far as things that you think people aren't doing that maybe they should be doing um, as far as, you know, getting them their content out and again, staying original with it, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, still being able to gain some traction. Yes. Uh, a lot of people ask me, how they can grow their social media. And I think the biggest obstacle is for somebody to pick up their phone, like look in the camera and talk. Because at the end of the day, if you're just creating cool edits of you working out and running, like you can only get so far, you're not creating that connection with people on the other side of the screen. But if you are talking to the camera, like people are seeing your face, people are hearing your voice, I find that that helps with that human connection and that kind of develops a relationship through the screen. So I think people need to be utilizing the fact that like people want to get to know you. People want to get to know the authentic you and don't be afraid of being judged. I mean, we all try something new and if it fails then Hey, it fails, right? At least you're trying. Yep. Yep. I couldn't agree more, man. So tell me a little bit about uh, Runa Run Club. When did that get started? I believe that you run that with your uh, your partner, Cheryl. Talk mm -hmm. to me a little bit about that. So uh, Runa Run Club. So originally, back to San Diego, that feeling that I had of like having nobody and just I never wanted somebody to feel like they that feeling that I felt after the race. Like if anything, they should always have a support system there because it's a big accomplishment to run a marathon. And I still didn't feel good. Um, in that moment, it's kind of when I was inspired to create a run club. So I created another run club that I had with uh, a group of guys. And, you know, one thing led to another and I decided to leave because there was like internal issues. So I decided to yeah leave and then created Runa, run, Runa Running or Runa Run Club, 
with Cheryl, which I had no intention of creating after I left the other run club. I was kind of just over it. I was done. It was a lot of work. And, um, but what I found is when I left that other club, I was kind of just posting on Instagram, like, Hey, I'll be at this park at this time. If anybody wants to run. And every time I did that, there would be like 15 to 20 people out there to run. So I'm like, okay, I can't keep doing this on my personal page. I need a landing page. And that's when I was talking to Cheryl and I was saying, you know what? I don't want to do this by myself because it, it is a lot of work. Uh, I'm a nurse. I coach, I do social media content creation. Like my plate is full and Cheryl, she's like a superpower. Everything that comes along the lines of like admin work or uh, tech, like she's all over it. So she's like, let's just do it, babe. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And then obviously having that experience of running another club before, it was so much easier to just start this, this other club. I knew the ins and outs. I knew what it, what it needed to be successful. So that's when Runa Run Club came about and slowly just kind of it's grown. Like we've done the marketing for it here locally. Uh, obviously I have a social media presence and so does Cheryl. So that definitely helps bring more people in. And now the Instagram page, it's about, uh, Runa Run Club is about four months old, five months old. And we're at like 1500 followers on Instagram. And then we host runs every Friday night and we get anywhere from like 40 to 60 people uh, every, Sick. every meetup. I love so. that it's Friday night too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, we always joke, like it's the best club to be at on a Friday night. Hell yeah. yeah. I love that. Love so. that. Dude, that's huge growth in a short amount of time. So mm -hmm. congrats on that. That's awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah. It's kind of cool because like being a coach as well, we're able to provide them more value than just a place where you just meet up with some people and you go run, right? Like we have people come up to us and talk to us about nutrition, talk to us about running shoes, running tech, uh, drills, warmups, all that stuff. So it's just nice to be that resource for the community. Yep. And that kind of circles back to a point you made earlier, which was if you're just getting into the game and you want to be serious about running, like get a coach, get a coach, get a coach. Mm -hmm. It takes years shaves years off your learning mm -hmm. curve it's actually crazy because otherwise you're just like you're getting a piece of information here on youtube and then you're finding something on google and then you see this like marathon training plan that you found and you googled or your friend sent you or whatever and it's like you're piecing little bits here and there but the coach is just going to be like hey i know the path of least resistance i know yeah. i've done this before i've coached many people who've done this before let's do it this way i promise it's easier it's crazy how much time it'll shave off 100 percent. yeah hundred percent. Um, well, cool, man. So let me ask you this. I got to ask this selfishly as an ultra runner, anything over 26.2 intrigue you? Yes. So yeah. I actually ended up doing a 50 miler earlier this oh, year. Yes. Sick. Yeah. So I did, uh, it was April, like the first week of April, it was a month before OC marathon. I remember. So I think it was in April and that was, that was an experience. I actually, enjoyed that race experience more than I do marathons. And I feel that it's, it's more of a mind game for ultras. Like I, I know it's like, I was just gonna say, I know it's just 50 miles for a guy like you who does hundreds, but towards the end of that race, like I didn't realize that you'd have to deal with like GI issues. Like I never really dealt with that in a marathon where I'm sitting there like mile it was like mile 40 and I'm throwing up on the trail because I didn't train my gut to eat real food. Yep. And I've never wanted to quit something so bad uh, apart from like CIM, but just like, I remember looking at my buddy who was pacing me and like, he could see it in my eyes. Like I did not want to be there. But the only thing that kept me going was having like my crew of people waiting for me at the next aid station. Like I can't let them down. Like they came out here to watch me race for eight hours, eight to 10 hours, whatever it was. I, I can't quit. There's no way. So that was a very interesting experience. And then I learned a lot on the course where I would like, I would be running and then I'd see people power hike up these hills and I'm an idiot. I'm trying to run up this hill using all this energy. I'm like, and somebody's like, no, like you need to pace yourself, walk power, power, walk up these hills. I was like, okay. So I learned as I went during, but I definitely want to hit a hundred mile race for sure. And I think that's the plan after CIM. 
Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Keep me updated. Maybe we'll get one and in the next year or so we'll get one together, whether it's a marathon or a hundred, hundred mile race. Let's, let's keep each other updated with that. Yeah. I'd love to get one in with you. Um, dude, best of luck at CIM. Uh, it's coming up. I know you're going to crush it. So can't wait to see that. Um, and thank you so much for coming on, dude. I, dude. I thought this was really valuable. I think it'll help a lot of people and I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure sharing yeah. my story. Yeah. Thank you, bro. And then, uh, if anybody's looking to follow you, where can they find you and where can they reach out? Yeah. So on Instagram at the buff nurse, that's pretty much the only platform that I use daily. You could follow my TikTok. It's at the buff Merce with an M. So funny, funny fact, like if you're a male nurse, it's often called a Merce M U R S E. Mm. So that's where you guys can find me. Love it. Love it. That's the pod. Thank you, brother. Awesome, bro. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.